made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand it. It was Greek. I wonder what will in life was. Hang around these rooms, man. Hang around these tables. You'll get what you need. She said, anybody here wondering what will in life is in third step? She said, it's thoughts and actions. And I remember I always sit in the front row. I got my own seat at my home group. It's on the front row. I try to get there early to keep it. I don't know why. I've always loved my own, own seat, you know. And I get pissed off when somebody gets there and gets it before I do. <laughs> A couple times I've asked them to get up. <laughs> my sponsor told me to quit doing that. <laughs> he said, you need to come earlier. She said, will in life is thoughts and I said, man, that's everything. She said, he's got it right. <laughs> yeah, young man said, it's everything. Thoughts and actions. Will in life. We've got to turn it over to whoever we think God is. Whew, man, what a big one. Is that a J-O-B? I thought, man, that's impossible. And I stayed depressed for a little while. Now, I sobered up with two guys. We all run around together. We even went 30 days sober and had Perrier water in a bar. You know? <laughs> you know, when you work these steps, you think, wonder what it's going to be like to walk in a bar and drink Perrier water. Well, we did it when we was 30 days sober. And guess what? We didn't stay long. <laughs> it was very, very, very uncomfortable. You know what I realized? I went to bar for certain things. And I looked around, and I thought, I don't want that anymore. I like what I'm getting at AA. Welcome home, friend, to a very special edition of Sober Shares. This episode is titled Jimmy Daniels Part 2. Jimmy was an AA step speaker who specialized in presenting his life story and how the 12 steps worked in his life. Mr. Daniels was extremely popular, and he was booked several months to several years in advance due to his powerful message. This episode will highlight steps 1, 2, and 3 of the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Please remember to support this show with a financial donation by visiting our website, SoberShares.com, and clicking the Donate button. You can also find a clickable link in the show notes for this episode that will lead you directly to our PayPal donation page where you can make a donation with a debit or credit card. If you need help figuring out how to make a donation, please email me, Mike at SoberShares.com, and I will respond to you with a link to our donations page. This process is secure and will take you less than two minutes. I have encountered additional hardware and software-related expenses this month to be able to convert and edit these old audio files. So if you could help me cover these costs, I would be super grateful. And now, it's time to enjoy your new friend, Jimmy Daniels. Take it away, brother. Thank you very much. My name is Jimmy Daniels, and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date's June 10th, 1982. I got a sponsor after I was here for four or five days. And my little sponsor looked at me one day and he said, what do you think about not having sex for a year? And I went, 
I said, man, what's my sex life got to do with this deal? I said, what happened one day at a time, man? <laughs> he said, you're different. I said, oh, I'm different. <laughs> Hell, I know I'm different. We're all different. You know, every one of us are different. Every one of us has got an incredible different story of pain and loss and sorrow and tragedy and loneliness. Something inside of me told me, because I looked around and I saw all these pretty girls in Alcoholics Anonymous, and something inside of me said, man, if you don't do what he says, and you get hooked up with one of these honeys, man, he's a dead man. And I looked at him, I said, man, how, how, about, how about not so long, man? He said, well, we'll do it until you get through the, the 11th step. And I did it 11 months. Now, let me tell you what that did. That took the sick game of sex out of my life when I first came to you and let me be able to work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And from the start, it was known that I wasn't going to be doing that. I can remember uh, this girl, I really liked her. She really liked me, my first friend, woman friend in AA. Her name was Pam Enright. She came up to me about the next day, and she said, Jimmy, come on, you want to go eat? I said, yeah. I said, hold up, I want to tell you something. I said, I can't have sex. <laughs> you see, because, you know, I came from a place where you see somebody, in a room for the first time and you lock eyes and y'all gonna go to bed that night. And I think a lot of you know what I'm talking about. I came from a really, really probably pretty sick environment. I was thinking on the way over here, um, I never knew anybody that got, got out of where I came from. I never knew anybody that had escaped the situation that I had been in for the first 40 years of my life. Because I had taken the first half of the first step before I came to you. I was done. Stick a fork in him, you know? I was fried. I was sleeping in a car. I just started hanging around these rooms. And I got here drunk. And I got here sitting next to another guy drunk. I never seen that, I've never seen that happen again. And back when I came here in 82, there used to be a lot of wet drunks that come to Alcoholics Anonymous. They would take them aside and try to 12-step them. And they never took me to any of those rooms. They kind of just stayed away from me. They kind of just walked around me, you know. And finally, I run into this one big old red-headed guy one day, and he's about this tall, and he looked at me. He said, are you drinking? I said, yeah, man, I'm drinking. <laughs> he said, you know what we do here? I said, man, I don't know, but I think I'm getting ready to find out. <laughs> he said, we don't drink. And I just looked at him. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. He said, you know what a commitment is, buddy? I said, hell yeah, I know what a commitment is, man. Why? He said, we make a commitment to not drink. Turned around walked off. I never saw him again.
Well, take this. I had never made a commitment, so I didn't know what the word meant. It was built around me not drinking while I was here. And I said to myself, I think I'll try that. I think I'll try that. My sponsor took me to an anniversary meeting at another group. And on June 10th, 1982, I got a desire chip. And I can remember walking away from that podium with that desire chip. It has always been different since I've been with you. There's something here when I walk through the door, and it's been here, and it stays here, and it lives here. And this is the safest place I live in my life is in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I've never found another place more safe than these rooms. And so I started on what this thing called sobriety. I started on the journey. And it was very difficult. In fact, it was almost impossible in the beginning. I would hear things. People would say things in meetings like, you got something bothering your head? Ask God to take it. Everything in my head would bother me. I went around for two or three days at a time, I swear to you, with saying these words. God take it, 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 God take it. I came here, everybody comes trying to get rid of somebody or trying to get somebody back. I came trying to get somebody back. And she was nuts. She smoked reefer, it took her to the moon. This woman loved Kenny Loggins. I remember she's going to a Kenny Loggins concert one night, and I said, well, what time are we leaving? She said, we ain't going together. We, it's not we. She said, it's me. I said, oh, okay, hell, I don't want to go see him anyway. <laughs> she goes, I didn't like him. I didn't even know him, and I didn't like him. <laughs> you know why? Because she liked him. <laughs> it pissed me off. So she comes cruising through the, through the apartment, and she's got a hat, and it's got oranges and apples and bananas, and it's got every fruit there is on the hat. And I looked at her. I said, Kathy, what do you think you're going to do? She said, he'll see me. I said, baby, they'll all see you. I had her on my mind for about a week, and I learned how to pray. I had another experience with prayer. I heard a man in a room. He said, you want to lose the compulsion? I still wanted to drink and do that stuff for a while. Every, most of us do right in the beginning. But I knew what he was talking about. I knew what he was talking about when he said lose the compulsion. And he said these words. He said, here's what we do. He said, we get on our knees in the morning. And we ask God to keep God to keep us sober. And he said, we get on our knees at night and we thank this God. Now I got voices flying around up talking to me, you know. Y'all had them? You know, they're not. And one little voice said, hey man, you're going to go for some weak shit like that. And another one over here said, man, you've gone for weaker shit than that. You better try So I was sneaking in filling station bathrooms in the morning, asked God to keep me sober on my knees, scared to death. I'd find a place at night, 
terrified. Thank you for keeping me so. Didn't even believe it would work. You don't even got to believe it would work. About a week or ten days later, I was standing around the room one night, and I realized I no longer had that thing that we call alcoholism. I no longer had the phenomenon of craving. Now, when you have something that powerful happen to you that early, there's one thing you'll know and one thing we'll always know, and that is that prayer works. I'd heard about people all my life praying, praying, praying. I didn't believe none of it would work, man. I'd asked God for, for things before. He never gave me nothing. Zero. Zilch. But I had never asked God to keep me sober. You see, I didn't want to get sober. I'm different. I'm a, I'm a different kind of cat than Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson, all through the book, especially in the beginning of the book, he wants to get sober. Him and Silkworth are talking. Hey, man, why not? I'm a, you know, how do I get sober? How do I get sober? And in my study group I have at my house, none of us wanted to get sober when we got here. There's different kind of alcoholics. But after we got here, the whole deal applied. The whole, the whole book, book applied. All the principles applied. You know, we were just like Bill, only we didn't know it. And I'm different in another way. I'm different in this way. Most people start, take a drink, they can't stop. And that's alcoholism. And they may go two days and fall out and pass out and go home to their you know, wife and beg, get back in and you know, get help from the boss. But I turned out to be one of those alcoholics that had to be stopped. I couldn't stop. And the only place I could be stopped was I'd wake up and there'd be armed bars around me. And there's a breed of people like that in Alcoholics Anonymous. We can't stop. And I've only discovered that about me in the last two or three years. I would go, I would stay up as long as I could, I'd do everything to stay up, and I'd get up and I'd go more, you know? I believe every drunk has to come here and has to pray and have prayer work, and then they're going to stay. Because I had a prayer, it worked. I did not have any reason to leave you after prayer work. None. I had to come up with some crazy prayers. I'm thinking about Kathy one day. I can't quit thinking about her. I'm dying. Y'all know what it's like. It's our greatest grief. My relationship. <laughs> I've had three of them damn near kill me. That's why I got this program. That's why I... I <laughs> That's why I stay here. That's why I hug this thing. Is this is what saves us from, from dying. They used to kind of laugh at the word codependency when I was younger, when I came in. They'd say, you know, I don't know word. Don't use that stuff. I got a flash for you. It will kill you. <laughs> codependency is doing the third step with another human being. Turn your will and your life over to care of a woman or a man. And I had one when I left, it felt like she's taking a hatchet and chopping my damn heart out. That's alcoholism. That's alcoholism. 
So I'm hurting pretty good, but I wasn't really hurting that, that bad when I first got here. So I don't know what to do. One day I fell on the ground. I said, God, give her Kenny Loggins. <laughs> and it worked. Went around all day. God give her Kenny Loggins. God give her Kenny Loggins. God give her Kenny Loggins. That's what she wanted, baby. Somebody told me, said, pray that she'll get everything she wants. And I knew that's what she wanted more than anything in the world was Kenny Loggins, you know? <laughs> so I said, God, let her have Kenny Loggins. It was over. It was gone. It left me. That's the power that lives here. That's the kind of stuff we stay here for. Those are the kind of deals that, that are real, and nobody can take it away from you because nobody gave it to you. So now I'm, I'm with my sponsor. I've you know, done taking the first half of the first step. I've run into another, another miracle. My sponsor and I were talking one day, one day and I said, man, I'm out of here. Luther, I'm out of here. He said, where the hell are you going to go, man? I said, I don't know, but I'm out of here. And he said, why? I said, man, I can't go the rest of my life without drinking and drugging and the girls, man. I can't do it. It's impossible. And you know it's impossible. Here's what he said to me. I heard this little line 50 times in my life. He said, Jimmy, we don't do this deal the rest of our lives. We just do this deal one day at a time. And that's one of the greatest miracles that's ever happened to me in my whole life is that you taught me that I have to live my life just for today. Just for today. You see, the days that I find myself in chaos and confusion and hurting and a dark cloud over my head is the day that I don't get up and, and do a little meditation. It's the day that I'm always thinking in, the, in front or thinking about something in the past. But if I get up, do my meditation, and stay into today, and hang out with my friends, and hang out with people that love me, and do the deal of Al Alcoholics Anonymous, it's cool. It's fun. It's fine. You know, if you're not having fun, hey, hey man, you need to talk to somebody. Because this is a fun deal. And you know who I have fun with? Mostly that little crowd right back there. Us guys love each other. I love this guy over here. I love, I found out how to love men. I remember when I first started holding hands in here. <laughs> My God. You know, I used to, I try to get between two women. One day I missed it. <laughs> okay, I got a chick here. I got a chick here and I got a great big old guy right here. He went, I said, no, man. <laughs> Ain't gonna happen, man. I don't, I don't do that. I don't hold hands with men. You know, and I'm holding her hand. I must have looked so goofy, you know. <clears throat> he said, you will. And that's how sick some of us are because, you know, I came from a place where you don't cry. You don't talk about anything about your wounds. You don't talk about anything about your tragedy. The only thing, the only way that I know how to talk about it is we were basically, when we were kids, we didn't know what to do. Hell, there wasn't no daddies around. We fathered ourselves. 
Our mothers were our mother and our father. And so we said, we're going to be real men. You know, real men don't whine. You know, it was like, we're going to get you some cheese and crackers with that wine, you know, if you start whining. And if you start whining, they would run you off. And you know what? We wouldn't do it because we were all we had. Can anybody relate to that? We were all we had. Nobody else. That was it. One of the greatest miracles that has happened in my life is that when I got here, I was able to listen to you talk about who you really were. I was able to watch grown men talk about some of the most sensitive stuff that I'd ever heard in my whole life. After I was here about a month, I saw a grown man. Something happened in his life. His wife left or whatever. And he sat in a chair and he just sobbed and wept. Do you know what that does for us? That will eventually give us the okayness to do that ourselves. Because that's happened to me. And what it is, is going through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, there comes with it a spiritual sensitivity. And that's, we're all God's kids. If one of us ain't, none of us are. I remember the first time I heard that said, I said, damn, I hope I'm in on that one. And now I got another thing going on the side. Man, I'm just, oh, I'm just fired up. I'm going 30 miles in, our, in every direction. I heard somebody saying in a meeting, they said, hey, man, you know, the only thing you need to do to be a businessman is have a customer. I went, a customer? Well, I had worked in dental laboratories, and I'd tell people I was a dental technician, and, and I had sat by a master that ta taught me how to set teeth in wax, which is what you really need to do to be a dental technician. And I'd go tell people I, I was a dental technician, and by the time I found out I wasn't, I'd learn a little more. This young dentist got fired, and me and him was working at the same place, and he told me if I wanted his teeth to come get them, and I could make them, and I went and got his teeth. He was only working three days a week. He was 24 years old, and he just started off. He said, where are you going to make them at? I said, man, don't, don't worry about it. I, yeah. Give me the stuff, man. You know. And I got it done. I'd go to the place where you buy teeth and stuff, and, and I'd go get one cart of teeth. You know, and I'd take it to another guy's lab, and I said, man, let me run this parcel through, man. He said, Okay. I just had some friends that had dental laboratories that would let me, they, they knew the condition I was in. I was, and I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm getting sober. I don't shoot cocaine, man. I don't mess with cocaine. I don't, I don't drink anymore. Will you help me? I've never asked for help out there that somebody didn't say, hey, I'll be glad to. That's how it works. Because you taught me it's a privilege and an honor to help somebody do something. That's the deal that lives here. I made a partial one time, and I was about a month sober, and I didn't have a dollar to get a foot of wire. See, class wire cost a dollar a foot. Well, I didn't have the buck. Man, I'm going nuts. I got to have this partial in this dentist's office the next day. I'm looking around all of a sudden, and I see a paper clip. Mm. I got that paper clip and started bending that paper clip, man. 
I cut it in two, and then I had me two clasp wires, one hook around this tooth, one hook around this tooth, man, holding that parcel in the mouth, you know. I took it to the doctor, and he said, oh, looks nice, man. I said, oh, yeah, thank you, man. <laughs> Next day, day after that, he, called, he got on the phone. He said, man, get your ass over here. Man, I went over there, and he, he had that parcel in his hand. Those paper clips had turned black in that lady's mouth. <laughs> and they turned black all the way up into the pink, you know? I mean, it was the chemicals, and, and, you know, you got to have steel wire to go in the mouth. You can't put paper clips in people's mouths, you know? <laughs> But there is always an answer in Alcoholics Anonymous, isn't there? Isn't that right? Every jam we've ever got in, man, we've gotten out of it, haven't we? So I, I'm, getting, I'm just getting a little better, man. I'm a businessman. Who are you, man? I'm Jimmy Daniels. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm a businessman, you know? You think that ain't heavy? Those hippies, when I was young, they said, that's heavy. Well, man, that was heavy for me. I just come in, I'm a tramp, you know? Two weeks ago, man, I am low life. I am not wanted in any place I could think of. I came here because I didn't have any place else to go. If I'd had some place else to go, I would have went there. But I couldn't go anyplace else. I was not wanted anyplace else. That's the best way you can get here. Best way you can get here. Because that means you've tried about everything. You think I wanted to come to Alcoholics Anonymous? Sleeping under bridges? Hell, man, I'm a hip, slick, cool drug addict. I shot that stuff, man. You know, I went to penitentiary. Guy sitting around the table one day, he said, hey, man, if you want to get somebody to tell a bigger story, we'll fly them in, okay? I went, and I learned to shut up. And they tell me that the reason I had two ears and one mouth is I was supposed to listen twice as much as I talked. And I go, we don't like that, you know? So now I got this sponsor, and I, I had a really, really, really good little sponsor. And he walked me through these steps, and he walked me through every word of it. Now, that's the way I think we have to work the program of Alcoholics Anonymous because this stuff is so foreign to the nature of a drinking alcoholic that I could only work it one word at a time. Every step I went through, it would change. You see, the first step changed in the first month. My sponsor said, what do you think about the second half of the first step? I said, don't think about it, man. He said, well, what's it say? I said, I I can't say I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you know? I'm a, I'm a grown man. My life is not unmanageable, Luther. I'm not, I'm not, my life's not unmanageable. You see, I was ashamed. He said, well, man, real, people's lives are manageable. They, you know, they, they sleep in beds and houses, and, uh, you know, I, I'm sleeping with people and in a car, and people in AA take me home with them, and you know, I got, went and slept in a guy's laboratory with a, with, with, a, with a sleeping bag for a couple of weeks one time. And here's what I started to say to him. You don't know anything about me. And that's why I'm going to read him the riot act. And then I was going to say, plus, you little bastard. <laughs> you had a father and a mother. 
ain't never seen my father, man. I don't know who in the hell he was till I was 23 years old. That's what I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him this sob story, you know. All of a sudden, this is what come out of my mouth. I said, Luther, man, you're right. <laughs> and a little voice said, where the hell did those words come from? <laughs> now, what I have just done is I have just made my life manageable. Because the instant we say that our life is unmanageable, that's when we can start making it manageable. That's when we can take the first step towards manageability. I remember I got me a bed at the Salvation Army by Christmas time. I remember I got me a big ashtray about this big. I love brass. I was like a raccoon. And uh, I started uh, living in this guy's house and sharing the rent. And um, at first I had a mattress and I had me a milk carton. And man, I had a home. I had a place to stay. I had a roof over my head. And it felt good. It's always gotten better for me. Always. Even through the trials and tribulations of going through the relationships. Every time I went through one and got on the other side of it, I got stronger. I had taken the first step. Y'all have done it. I know what that capital P was. Came to believe that the power greater than yourself could restore your sanity. You know what I said to myself? They want me to tell them I'm nuts. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. Then AA really takes over on the second step. That's why we do 90 meetings in 90 days. Hell, I, I did two or three a day. I wasn't very busy. I didn't have a whole lot of work. And so, you know, I made $1,600 from June to December of 1982. So I didn't work a whole lot, but I didn't need a whole lot of money. And I came and I listened to your stories. I listened to the miracles that happened in your life. And you know, our stuff is not hypothetical. When a person gets through speaking up here, we can't go over and argue with him because, you know, we're telling him what's happened to us. All my life, people were talking about me and you guys were talking about yourselves. And that's a whole different thing. That's healing. And I started being healed. I started being healed by the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. I came to, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity when I found out what the word sanity really meant. You see, I thought all my life I was nuts. You probably did, too. In fact, I know you did. <laughs> I had to go to see a psychiatrist when I was getting out of prison the third time because I had to go see a psychiatrist before I went to the pro board. And I said, man, I don't even think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to take the serve out. Forget it, man, because that guy's going to know. He's going to find out who I am, and they ain't never going to let me out of this summit. Finally, I thought, well, let's go, Jimmy. Let's go talk to him. I went and talked to him. He was a kid. I was about 33. He was a kid. He's about 25, 26 years old. That's who they hire and things, you know. I talked to him for about 10 minutes. And after he got through talking to him, I said, man, I said, hey, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah, man, what is it? I said, uh, 
I said, what do you think about me, man? <laughs> he said, damn, man. He said, you seem like a really, really nice guy. He said, but damn, you've made a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> Not a word about alcoholism. Not a word about anything. You know, they, they just didn't have any information they could give us back then. I, I never knew what was wrong with me. I always thought my luck was bad. And then I heard a lady come through AA, and she said, if you're struggling with the word insanity, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I said, I'll be down. I'll be down. And the first place I applied it was I went to the penitentiary. Over and over and over. And then I found out later on they're talking about taking the first drink and the insanity of taking that drink and not being able to stop. And so now I own two steps. I own the first step. I'm powerless over alcohol. I was powerless over everything. I'd never had any power, ever. I didn't know what power was. But I knew what powerlessness was. I had never been able to make anything happen, ever. I couldn't do anything. I always wanted to do things. I wanted to be a singer, man. I never learned to sing from my stomach till I was 15 years sober. I had a little rock and roll band. I'd go get jobs. I'd sing, I'd sing about a night and a half, and I had a sore throat. I couldn't lose a job singing from my throat. I wanted to do things. I never had anybody to guide me. You know, sometimes I think that when we get up here and tell our stories, that we sound like we're victims. You're definitely not looking at a victim. I think we're probably victims before we get here. This is what I have figured out about being a victim and not being a victim. When I found out that I had a choice I no longer became a victim. And another thing, did all that crap I lived through make me an alcoholic? Hell, I don't know. We just tell what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Do I think it had anything to do with it? You betcha. I'll tell you what, it saved my life. That stuff saved my life. I was depressed all my life. But man, when I got that hooch and that other stuff, I mean, that's why that I stayed on it so long and had to be stopped. It was the only time I wasn't depressed. So I got two steps. I even remember, I said, man, I got a sixth of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got another little booger up there. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand it. It was Greek. I'd never made a decision. I wondered what will in life was. Hang around these rooms, man. Hang around these tables. You'll get what you need. She said, anybody here wondering what will in life is in third step? She said, it's thoughts and actions. And I remember, I always sit in the front row. I got my own seat at my home group. It's on the front row. 
I try to get there early to keep it. I don't know why. I've always loved my own, own seat, you know. And I get pissed off when somebody gets there and gets it before I do. <laughs> Couple times I've asked them to get up. <laughs> my sponsor told me to quit doing that. He said, you need to come earlier. She said, will in life is thoughts and I said, man, that's everything. She said, he's got it right. <laughs> yeah, young man said, it's everything. Thoughts and actions. Will in life. We've got to turn it over to whoever we think God is. Whew, man, what a big one. Is that a J-O-B? I thought, man, that's impossible. And I stayed depressed for a little while. Now, I sobered up with two guys. We all run around together. We even went 30 days sober and had Perrier water in a bar. You know? <laughs> you know, when you work these steps, you think, wonder what it's going to be like <laughs> to walk in a bar and drink Perrier water. Well, we did it when we was 30 days sober. And guess what? We didn't stay long. <laughs> it was very, very, very uncomfortable. You know what I realized? I went to bar for certain things. And I looked around, and I thought, I don't want that anymore. I like what I'm getting at AA. And I finally I said, hey, man, let's get, let's, let's get out of here, man. Stunk. Hey, you don't realize how bad those places stink until you, until you go in, in one of them um, sober. And then we found it in the book, you know. We can go into bars and places like that if we have a reason for going there. I went in one time to 12-step a heroin addict. I've been in a couple with uh, groups of guys, but I don't, I don't like to go in there. I don't, I don't like to go in them, you know. I stay away from them. So I got these two buddies. I said, damn, man, this third step's going to be a rough one. And my buddy David had been out. He went out, he had four years, and he went out on, on loco weed, man. And he come back, and he was, I mean, he was hammered. He come back. I was the first guy to shake hands with him, and he stuck his hand out like that. <laughs> Crab claw, you know. Got his hands like, come on in here, man. What's your name? And we became friends. And he'd been to AA before. And we were standing around the room one night. And he said, hey, man, you know, the big boys do. He said, there's a prayer you say in the third step. He said, you, you do the third step when you say that prayer. I said, what prayer? I was pissed off because he knew it and I didn't know it. <laughs> I said, where's it at? He went and got it, man. It's on page 63. He said, there it is. I said, the hell you say? <laughs> So what now? He said, we get on our knees and we hold hands and we said, <laughs> <laughs> you don't really do that, do you, man? <laughs> Three grown men on their knees holding hands, you know? My, you know, I thought, man, if the guys in the penitentiary could see me now. <laughs> on my knees holding hands, man. You get in places where I've been in situations like that, they try to put you in a mop closet if they caught you like that, holding hands, you know? 
We all looked at each other. We all were scared. I said, hell, man, let's do it. So David got the book, and he put the book on the floor. And I can remember we all three got down on our knees, and the book was in the middle of our little circle. And we were down there close enough where David could read the third step. And we held hands, and we repeated the, after David the third step. My God, offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thy will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. And take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those who would help with thy love and thy power and thy way of life. And may I do your will always. And we got up off the floor. And only thing I remember, and that was a long time ago, people. That was a long time ago. You know, you know what I remember? I felt a little bit cleaner. That's the word that comes to mind. I felt just a little bit cleaner. And I have done that third step with so many people in so many places, and, and it's a privilege and an honor to do it with somebody the first time. I've done it in mop closets and corners of AA groups, and hell, I've seen people, you know, it, somebody might do it tonight, but, you know, break up and sit over in the corner, man, doing a third step. That's the way they did it where, where I came in. It's always a good prayer. It was one of the first real heavy-duty prayers of my life. Now, I'm listening to a set of tapes by a man named Ray O'Keefe. And I wasn't getting along with my sister-in-laws because my sister-in-laws raised my children while I was incarcerated. And they told my children on a daily basis who I was, where I was, what I was. And when I got out of prison, my children wouldn't even speak to me. And he said on these tapes, he had a sister-in-law, and he was having problems with her, and he said, Effer. And I thought, man, isn't that great? <laughs> he said, sister-in-law, man, I want to say it to three of them. <laughs> it's on a tape. Man, this place is heavy. But on this tape, this is what he said. He said, when you do step one, you get a little bit better physically. You know, you've seen them do step one. They come rocking and rolling through there with their clothes ironed and the flowers in their hair, you know. You do step two, you get a little bit better mentally. And you do step three, you get a little bit better spiritually. And he said, it's like God takes a great big Band-Aid and he wraps it around you because he knows it's going to be a long, long time before some of you can do four and five. And I was one of those people. Because I did something that a drunk shouldn't do. I read too far in the big book. <laughs> and I read these words. We tell another human being our whole life story. And I said, not on your life. And of course, we're thinkers. I said, well, if I ain't going to do five, why do I want to do four? And I stayed in a stretch from three months sober to about eight, seven or eight, nine months sober before I did my fourth and fifth step. And um, I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>